You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week as always. Uh, A lot going on, as I noted. Uh, News that Hunter Biden is about to be indicted. I'll talk about that. But I'll also talk about an important court hearing about a cover-up related to the Hunter Biden scandals and the Justice Department and FBI uh, protection racket that they ran for him. Also, some important anniversaries this week, or I should say coming up on 9-11. Obviously, it's the anniversary of the uh, 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, It's also the anniversary of Benghazi, and I want to reflect on that a little bit. On top of everything else that's going on, we have this new maniacal scheme by the left to keep Trump off the ballot using the 14th Amendment as an excuse or pretext. So we'll get into that as well. We also have new lawsuits or a lawsuit against, I think, three federal agencies over uh, Biden's bank bailouts. And I'm going to explain what that may mean for you and why it's probably going to cost you some money, uh, these bank bailouts that the media doesn't want to talk about anymore. So much, much going on. You know, first up is uh, Judicial Watch is always doing the heavy lifting, meaning we just don't come on here and I don't come on here just to talk about the weather, although I will talk about it later in the program. But uh, the point is that Judicial Watch is in court virtually every day um, in, uh, invest- in, investi- <laughs> excuse me, in investigative mode uh, through thousands of Freedom of Information Act requests. Uh, representing uh, clients, just doing everything that you would want a government watchdog to do. Now, of course, I come on and talk about it, uh, but uh, if we weren't doing the underlying work, um, it wouldn't be very interesting, would it? Uh, Certainly, you wouldn't want to pay attention to anything I had to say. Uh, But because Judicial Watch is America's number one watchdog, and we're in court uh, time after time on the issues that you care about, Uh, it's important uh, that not only you figure out what I'm saying and pay attention to what you're seeing here, uh, but also that you share the wealth and share the information. Uh, So along those lines, we were in court earlier this week, uh, federal court. We had a Zoom court hearing with a U.S. District Court judge uh, in the District of Columbia, and uh, I attended as a client, as I uh, typically do, and we were represented uh, by Michael Bakesha, one of Judicial Watch's senior attorneys. And uh, it was a case about, and I talked to you about this last week a little bit, about the um, uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit that we had against the FBI over the Hunter Biden gun scandal. And uh, we had begun a a series of investigations and lawsuits when we saw in in various news media reports that the Secret Service and the FBI went and vacuumed up documents at the gun store that Hunter supposedly purchased his gun from after um, his gun was thrown in a dumpster and then seemingly disappeared for a time. Um, And it was thrown in the dumpster by his then girlfriend, sister-in-law, the widow of his his brother. So it's just, it was just completely crazy town. And uh, the government, uh, rather than just giving us records about that the FBI was involved in this, because the Secret Service previously had given us records already 
uh, about this issue, and the records were cagey about whether they were involved or not. Uh, but we did get records. In this case, the FBI is not only refusing to give us any records, at least now, but they don't want to even tell us how many records they have because supposedly that would ruin their law enforcement investigation. So we can't even you know, negotiate with them, practically speaking, about when the records should be produced to us, you know, you know the sorts of things you would do typically in a legal battle. Uh, but the court wanted to know what the basis was and what the legal basis was and asked the Justice Department to defend their, um, in my view, unprecedented effort to hold these records from us uh, by telling us that they won't even tell us how many records there are. I mean, just think about this. You're trying to fight with the government over records that would be responsive under the Freedom of Information Act. Well, how can you double check what they're doing if you don't even know how many records are at issue after they do their search? So uh, that's where we stood. And what's interesting is, um, well, what's good is that the court, uh, it was a judge, um, I forget her name, Lord help me, but uh, uh, she was uh, a recent appointee. I think she's a brand new judge appointed by President Biden. You know, but, it was a, but it was a straightforward analysis. She said, you know, analysis. Judicial Watch fairly is asking these questions and, you know, we want to get these records and process along. We've been asking for these records for some time, so it's frustrating to have to litigate even the issue of whether they can tell us how many records they have, uh, but the case is moving along. So we come out of the court, and I think it's the next day or so, we find out why they were potentially so sensitive about this issue. Uh, and that was uh, there was an announcement by the so-called special counsel Mr. Weiss up in Delaware, uh, and he filed it, I think, in Delaware court, that he would be um, filing uh, what looks to be a felony gun charge against Hunter uh, by September 29th. Now, what, what a remarkable turn of events, isn't it? It really confirms that the gun charge that previously they didn't want to charge him at all for Basically, just they wanted to keep it off the books, practically speaking. It wasn't even technically part of the plea deal. He wasn't pleading guilty to any gun crimes. It was part of a, a side deal that was exposed in that infamous, or I should say famous, court hearing that exposed the Justice Department corrupt and unprecedented cover-up uh, to help Hunter Biden get away with a series of tax and, and it looks like gun crimes. And you may recall those uh, IRS whistleblowers said that it was all rigged and the Justice Department was interfering with and, and um, messing with the investigations uh, to help Hunter and protect Joe. And uh, part of that obstruction was the special counsel investigation uh, or, or was the investigation by Weiss, who then wasn't special counsel, but was the Garland Justice Department uh, liked to pretend he was. Uh, but he had no powers and, and his cases were getting, and he allowed them to get, uh, derailed. Uh, in fact, there were IRS, uh, there were charges related to taxes that the statute of limitations were allowed to run on, meaning he can't be charged on them in theory. And that was purposely done by the Biden Justice Department. So all of that gets exposed. And so in response, what does Biden do or Garland do? Because Garland is Biden's stand-in in this regard, is that he 
uh, appoints Weiss as special counsel. And so rather than basically investigate Weiss for this obstruction and the way this case was handled, the Justice Department puts the fox in charge of the hen house, relatively speaking. Uh, and so his first move, in my view, was to uh, distract from all of that corruption I'm talking about by targeting Hunter in this gun charge. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Weiss is like, I did the best I could under terrible circumstances, and now that I'm special counsel, I'm going to go to town. And this Hunter case is the first one out of the gate, and um, it's 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 going to be a broad investigation. We're going to get into all the tax issues and the, the foreign agent issues and whether or not uh, Hunter and Joe were in some sort of racketeering conspiracy. Maybe that's all in the offing. And this big case, and, it, and you know, if you're Hunter, you're facing a felony charge, right? And he's potentially facing significant time in jail if he's convicted. Uh, and uh, so who knows? Now, I'm, I'm skeptical. I think, uh, frankly, if I'm Hunter Biden, I'd say, you know, we had this deal. You weren't willing to even prosecute me or make me plead out to a crime related to this issue. And I think, in theory, the charge would be relate to whether he filled out the federal form related to gun purchasing um, in a way that was truthful. And so he said, you know, his theory is that there's, this is no big whoop. You didn't care about it initially, and the only reason you're coming after me is politics. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a fair argument in some ways, right? I hate to be on the side of Hunter here, uh, but they, uh, uh, that's the problem when the Justice Department plays games. You know, people who benefit from the games, obviously, um, you know, that's outrageous. But on the other hand, if they, they can also play games the other way. So it's, it just undermines confidence in the fair administration of justice, no matter where you stand here. And this is why the Justice Department and this whole investigation should be handled by people who don't have an interest because of their prior involvement in the obstruction. And that would include Weiss and Garland. They can't be involved in this, or as best as can be prevented, they should be uh, the target of an investigation in the least. And so any investigation, let's say the charge against Hunter is well-founded and, and good faith. Well, people have, are going to question it. Hunter's going to question it. People like me are going to question it. So the Justice Department, as I keep on saying, is in ethical collapse, and every investigation they are involved in um, is suspicious. Uh, so I had a, a discussion first. Uh, I have a clip here of um, our discussion in the court hearing, um, my reaction to the court hearing right after we came out of court, and I kind of go after the FBI here, and uh, this is really part of the scandal. Um, let's go to that. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with some news. We were in federal court today against both the FBI and Justice Department. We're trying to hide those FBI documents about the Hunter Biden gun scandal. You may recall how Hunter Biden's gun ended up in a dumpster up there in Delaware, I believe. Uh, now, the FBI doesn't even want to tell us how many documents they have about this scandal, about their potential involvement and help covering up the scandal for Hunter Biden. And of course, now they've invoked the sham and compromised special counsel as an excuse to further delay 
the release of these documents. Well, the court wants more information from the FBI and has demanded a brief explaining why it is they can't tell us even how many documents they have about this Hunter Biden corruption scandal. It takes heavy lifting by Judicial Watch and your support to keep on fighting against this terrible corruption here in Washington, D.C. You know, I'm glad we played that because it reminded me that they are using the special counsel as an excuse to keep these documents away from us. I guess my thinking was and is we'd asked for these documents a long time ago. I think these, this request and this lawsuit was, I think, filed in January of this year. Uh, we asked, we've been investigating this long before then, long before a special counsel was involved. So, you know, what's the law enforcement investigation here? Is it into Hunter, and was this whole gun scandal and the dumping of the gun somehow tied to these upcoming charges? Um, frankly, it doesn't sound like that's the case. Uh, frankly, I, you know, if, if, if the investigation is they're investigating the FBI and Secret Service's role in helping cover up the scandal for them, that's another matter. But, uh, you know, we have this confirmation that the special counsel is, has to, quote, review all the documents that Judicial Watch wants. And, um, and that's why they want to stall and delay and don't even want to tell us uh, the number of documents that uh, uh, would be available to us or should be are going to be reviewed. You know, that's the first hurdle. You know, how many records, did they do the search, right? Let's say they find a thousand documents. Well, we don't necessarily get all those documents. They quote half the process them which is look at them and either uh, and cut out or black out, redact material, hopefully lawfully, as opposed to unlawfully, which is dishonestly, and, and then release them. That's the processing. So uh, it, it shouldn't take forever and a day, and the fact that it is suggests that there's a cover-up going on. Now, you know, I laid out my concerns about the special counsel. What do you think? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I run hot and cold, and I think uh, given the corruption at the Justice Department, we should be distrustful. And this was my initial reaction here um, upstairs on Judicial Watch's, uh, on the roof of Judicial Watch's headquarters. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with some breaking news. The so-called special counsel announced that he'd be filing charges against Hunter Biden related to his gun purchasing. Uh, this conflicted, compromised, and corrupt special counsel was caught red-handed with an unprecedented sweetheart deal for Hunter that was undone uh, through a federal court proceeding up in Delaware. And now he's trying to distract from the fact he compromised and dropped charges against Hunter Biden that could implicate Joe Biden and countless others. Don't be distracted by this latest move concerning Hunter Biden. We should be investigating and demanding accountability, something Judicial Watch already is doing in federal court, for the Justice Department's corrupt protection of the Biden clan, a protection racket they've been engaging in, while at the same time targeting and abusing President Trump and other innocent Americans. Well, you can see I was in a very skeptical mood when I made that presentation. I'm a little less skeptical today, but I am. You know, the point is that we've got a crisis. We can't trust the special counsel to do anything. Uh, there's little doubt that the uh, Garland Justice Department isn't playing games in protecting uh, Joe Biden. 
And the question is, what is it we do about it? And uh, I highlighted what Judicial Watch tries to do, which is to file a lawsuit, uh, a lawsuits and a series of Freedom of Information Act requests to get information about uh, the Biden corruption issues, whether it be specific details of what the Bidens were up to and the corruption there. And then secondly, uh, the IRS, FBI, DOJ, State Department, you name it, cover-up of said corruption. Uh, just last week, I highlighted how, um, or was it two weeks ago? doesn't matter. We just sued the CIA, for instance, for their role in the cover-up of uh, Biden corruption. Uh, so we've got not only the underlying corruption that we're Judicial Watch is investigating, but also the obstruction and the cover-up of that corruption by these deep state agencies. And so uh, I kind of explained the reality of this, I thought, in a pretty good way um, with our friend uh, Stuart, Stuart Varney on Fox Business the other day. Let's go to that discussion. What is the significance of this possible indictment? Well, uh, it further highlights the corrupted Justice Department handling of the Hunter Biden investigations. The only reason we're here is because the, the unprecedented non-prosecution of the gun deal uh, was exposed essentially as corrupt as, as Lucas described as a result of a court inquiry here. And, uh, you know, Weiss uh, needs to be investigating, frankly, the FBI and the Secret Service's intervention, reportedly, as Judicial Watch has been trying to do in FOIA litigation. Remember, that gun was dumped into a dumpster by his then-girlfriend and sister-in-law, Haley uh, Biden. And uh, the report is the Secret Service, and Fox News reported this out. And, and, and the FBI went and vacuumed up documents way back, you know, five years ago. <laughs> we were just in court yesterday, literally, Stu, in, in federal court. The FBI is telling our, the court that they can't even tell us because it's a secret how many documents they have about this scandal. And I tell you, Weiss is compromised. He can't be trusted to investigate Hunter. And frankly, uh, you know, Hunter Biden's lawyers, I suspect, are going to say, look, we had a deal and we're going to hold you to it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, Hunter deserves maybe ironically the benefit of the doubt here in terms of uh, the Justice Department trying to protect its rear by targeting him on this gun charge, which is, by the way, substantial, despite what his lawyers say. True, but, but it's gun charges, not tax charges. Is that a deliberate strategy to help the Biden campaign stay away from the tax idea? Well, certainly it's a, a coincidence. It's certainly a, a beneficial distraction in the sense that uh, we know that these prosecutors uh, ditched and allowed to lapse uh, key uh, charges related to his taxes. Uh, they seem uninterested in him uh, being a foreign agent or even Joe Biden being a foreign agent uh, based on the rules. And so the big question is, is this special counsel going to be diligent in investigating the full panoply of Biden scandals? And there's no reason to think he will be, given his misleading of Congress about what he was supposed to be doing and how the Justice Department interfered with and obstructed this investigation. Uh, not only the Biden should be investigated, but the Justice Department, the FBI and the IRS and others who hampered and suppressed evidence and investigations into Biden family corruption. 
<laughs> you know, I, I kind of laugh looking at, at the at that report. It's a good it's a good report. Um, you know, when I watch, you know, it's odd, obviously, watching yourself on TV, um, on a TV show in this case. So now it's like two two places, two people removed. Uh, but when I but I when I look at this material, when I see uh, what Judicial Watch is saying on TV, in this case, me saying it, you know, my view is what what is it's like. I, I agree with that guy. I agree with that guy. It's, it may sound weird to you, but it's like, yeah, I agree with what he's saying. And and those are the big issues. Can we trust this Justice Department, this special counsel, uh, and uh, to fairly administer justice? And that means. Uh, ensuring that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden aren't above the law, but also that they're not abused as well. And that's the concern here, and that's kind of the, the irony of this, uh, this crazy situation uh, with Joe and Hunter. And, you know, and the thing about this gun charge, which is so outrageous, is they've been sitting on it for five years. Five years. I think this gun issue start, first erupted in 2018, if I recall. And so uh, there's other information, for instance, this week, and it goes back even further into uh, the Biden administration, into, into the Obama administration. Uh, one thing to remember is that the Biden corruption story is an Obama corruption story because all the issues we're talking about, the Obama gang, they knew full well what, what uh, Joe was into and the problems that Hunter was causing in terms of uh, national security and foreign policy. And there's a new story out of our uh, justthenews.com. I should have printed it out and, and highlighted some details for you, but you can look it up. Our friend John Solomon, the great journalist, investigative journalist, has a story out. There's a whistleblower um, with one of the big financial firms that had uh, been asked to work on a Hunter Biden-related bond deal. And they did the analysis, they did their due diligence, and they saw all sorts of indicia of corruption uh, uh, with uh, that deal. And what they did was they created a document and detailed it uh, with the detail of who was involved and the kind of the insider nature of the transaction that was unusual, other efforts to disguise some of the things that were going on, all all sorts of alarm bells that these financial guys who have the government breathing down there, literally looking over their shoulder on, at every transaction and every move they make, you know, they said, well, there's something up here. And they alerted uh, the securities, I think it was the Security Exchange Commission, the SEC, under, under Obama. And they did nothing. And they did nothing. And so it was just another example of how the Obama administration was involved in protecting and covering up Hunter Biden. And why is it important? People say, well, it's, he's the president, you know, he's, he's, he's not Joe Biden. Why it's important is because the other evidence is Hunter was funding Joe's lifestyle and taking care of Joe directly, complained to a family member in, on, uh, it's in the, uh, as has infam- infamously been highlighted in the laptop about Joe getting 50% of his money, uh, and of course you have the 10% for the big guy. Uh, but on the other hand also, you know, you, you can bribe someone by taking care of a family member. So, you know, that's, that's the big question here. Bribery, extortion, other corruption related to the Bidens, not only 
in the current situation as the president, but when he was vice president under Obama. And uh, this gun charge just highlights the corruption. It's all of a sudden a charge that they wanted to have the court have no role in, they didn't even want him to plead out, is now a felony in federal court. So which is it? And we're going to find out, right? Because now it's presumably going to have to go to trial. So we'll see what happens. So you can trust Judicial Watch, though, to keep on keeping on with our investigation into the handling of this gun charge. We have a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit in federal court already on it. And I suspect we're going to get a feel for where and how, excuse me, when and how many documents we're going to get based on that court hearing we were in last week. Uh, at the latest in January. I know it seems too far away. I know it's too far away for us too, uh, but that's the outside um, uh, uh, timeline in terms of uh, getting this, uh, at least in the, you know, getting it adjudicated in a way that we can figure out what they're hiding from us. So again, that's why I love Judicial Watch. It's, it, we come on and we're not just talking about the news, we're, we're behind the news doing this heavy lifting to get information and hold the government accountable. And then this is a great opportunity to educate you about what we find and what we're doing. So one of the other, uh, the mirror of, of this corruption of protecting Hunter and Joe and the whole Biden crime family is the abusive targeting of uh, former President Trump uh, with indictments by uh, the Biden uh, Justice Department and their uh, and Democratic politicians in, a new, in New York and Fulton County, Georgia. And uh, the Fulton County, Georgia case and uh, the, the, uh, one of the big ca the, the case currently in Washington, D.C. Uh, by the uh, Biden Justice Department target, target Trump for engaging in what any sensible person would see would see as First Amendment protected activity to dispute an election, activity protected by the Constitution uh, in his role as president to raise questions about whether the laws were filed and his, uh, his rights as a candidate to uh, raise questions about the way an election was conducted and what his rights are in an election dispute. And so the Biden people want to jail him specifically for doing that and are trying to try him in court. Now, they obviously are worried that arresting him four times hasn't been enough to derail his candidacy. In fact, it looks like he's more likely than not and his, and his, and his hold on the, um, the top slot in the Republican primary as, as uh, dramatically increased since they've begun these string of arrests and indictments against them. Now, whether that will help in the general election, I think everyone can debate. But clearly the left is still nervous about it. So they're not, they're, uh, they obviously don't think uh, uh, abusing uh, the rule of law, uh, abusing office, uh, turning the Justice Department, the FBI, and prosecutor's offices in Fulton County, Georgia, and in New York City into uh, essentially the arms of the Biden campaign and, uh, and abusing those offices to jail the political opponent of President Biden, that isn't enough. 
Now the left has concocted a new scheme, which is to falsely accuse President Trump of insurrection, which is factually false. No one, it's certainly the Biden people had a chance to indict him for, quote, insurrection. They haven't. And of course, he wasn't involved in insurrection. He was just raising questions about a challenge to electoral college slates in Congress. That's not insurrection. That's trying to use the laws and the Constitution uh, to ensure that uh, the election result is lawful and accurate and reflects the will of the American people. People have a right uh, to do that. And Democrats have done that time and time again. Uh, but evidently, when Republicans do it, it's outlawed. So it was an insurrection. Trump wasn't involved in insurrection. Everyone knows that who, as I say, is rational and sensible. And uh, on top of that, though, they use that as, as an excuse to have the 14th Amendment somehow keep him off the ballot. So arresting him isn't good, good enough. In fact, he, he could possibly be in jail next year. That evidently isn't going to be good enough because it won't keep him off the ballot. So they got to think of a way to keep him off the ballot. So they're now they're playing the 14th Amendment card. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I tweeted this out. I forget specifically what I said, but I'm going to try to quote myself. Fraudulently using the 14th Amendment and falsely accusing someone uh, to keep someone off a ballot, falsely accusing someone running for president, the number one candidate for, uh, candidate for president this time, of insurrection. You know, isn't that insurrection? Would you misstate the Constitution and misuse the Constitution to target your political opponent and upend an election that way? Now, the presumption in all of these media discussions of the 14th Amendment was, oh, if he did insurrection, if he was involved in insurrection, which is a big if, and I don't think that's true, uh, well, the 14th Amendment means he can't be president. Well, that's not true. Then let's go to the text of the Constitution, which almost always the left is loath to highlight. And it's 14th Amendment, Section 3, that's the relevant section. There you see on your screen. I want you to read it carefully because this is going to be, you'll be tested on this later. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who have previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may by, two, by a vote of two-thirds of each house remove such disability. So what do you, what, what do you, what's missing there? As Michael Mukasey has highlighted, a former attorney general in the Wall Street Journal, Mark Levin has highlighted, others who have high, uh, looked at this issue closely have highlighted. What's missing there? The president. He's not, it, there's, no, there's no language in there about a president. The president is not an officer of the United States. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress. So there's no limitation on being a president, assuming they even did this insurrection or rebellion. Who as an officer 
of the United States, because there's no reference there to a president. So the left is trying to suggest that the president is an officer of the United States. So Trump took an oath as an officer of the United States. An officer of the United States, dear friends, is someone who is appointed by a president or by one one of his appointees. The president of the United States is not an officer of the United States under law. Do you think the founders just, or in this case, the writers of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War, forgot to add president in there as someone who was covered by this? So the 14th Amendment, a plain reading of the 14th Amendment means that uh, there is no way, lawful or constitutional way, to keep President Trump off a ballot. Now, is that going to be the end of the discussion? Of course not. You have all of these, uh, you've had a few conservative law professors pretend to find um, uh, and, and re, uh, uh, a meaning in the 14th Amendment that isn't there, that it applies to the president. Again, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress. Okay, so it's no prohibition on the president. Uh, under this reading, even if they had previously taken an oath, maybe I'm misreading this, but I, I think I'm fairly reading it. Even if they had previously taken an oath and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion, they still could be elected president. But a presidential oath of office to defend the Constitution isn't covered under this, constitution, under this constitutional provision. Now, the left's response is, Tom, you mean the president can engage in insurrection and rebellion and be eligible for president of the United States? My answer is, that's what, the, that's what it says. Now, I want to take a step back again. There was no insurrection. The president was not involved in it. If there was, of course, I don't think anyone's been charged with insurrection. There's been these, uh, in my view, absurd, seditious conspiracy charges here in Washington, D.C. that have, le- that have led to over-the-top sentences for people who weren't really involved in seditious conspiracy, but that's a whole other matter. So this is a straightforward analysis. Does the 14th Amendment apply to, in these circumstances? The answer is no. There is no good faith basis to assert that the President Trump, that President Trump was involved in an insurrection, or is there a, fourth, a good faith basis to suggest that the 14th Amendment provision here even applies to him as a former president? It doesn't. It doesn't apply to him as a former president, and it doesn't restrict his ability to run for office. It's a straightforward analysis. Now, as I suggested, there's a debate about it, and the left doesn't care what the rules are. They make it up as they go along. There's already a left-wing lawsuit in Colorado trying to keep him off the ballot. You can be sure that a secretary of state or two who is friendly to the left is going to concoct a reason, using this as a basis, to keep Trump off the ballot. And then it will be um, adjudicated, hopefully, in a way uh, that um, allows uh, Trump to get back on the ballot as the law and the Constitution requires. But in the meantime, Judicial Watch is obviously looking at this issue uh, quite carefully. 
uh, our lawyers are examining, you know, the constitutional issues here. I'm giving you kind of my my summary analysis as as what I uh, my in my layman's understanding of this. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we know secretaries of state have been talking with each other about this, and we've initiated um, a, a massive Freedom of Information Act investigation into uh, this plan, this plan, this scheme to keep Trump off the ballot. So I'm just not commenting about this. I want to let you know that we are doing something about it as well. We want to find out who's talking to who, what they're talking about, and whether and how they're uh, avoiding and interfering with the election by, frankly, even considering this to any significant degree. You know, it's just another way to undermine uh, Trump's rights to uh, run for president, undermine his candidacy. But in the end, really, it's an attack on you, isn't it, dear voter? I mean, you should have a right to have um, a president, um, a presidential candidate on your ballot, uh, and you don't have to vote for him one way or the other. But there shouldn't be some leftist group that puts their thumb on the scales, some judge that puts their thumb on the scales, some uh, local prosecutor who puts their thumb on the scales, or a special counsel who puts his thumb on the scales, or a federal judge, or a state court judge who come in and think they can run the federal elections by deciding who can be on a, can on a ballot for president, where the Constitution obviously doesn't give them that right, or in the case of the prosecutions of Trump, you know, pretend that it's just a normal prosecution and it doesn't matter if the whole election system in the United States is upended uh, because uh, they're given the time of day to these political prosecutions that the courts should summarily dismiss almost immediately. So our, our republic continues to be under attack. Judicial Watch continues to expose and highlight the abuses, give you the truth about what's really going on, and hopefully in, in educating you, um, adding to uh, the, 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 uh, the negative pushback on this abuse of power. So I'll let you know when and if we get any documents on this issue, this 14th Amendment issue, but it's all part of the peace. It's all part of this effort to upend a constitutional government and um, really just end elections for all practical purposes. Because if you can't, if candidates can only be on the ballot if uh, Joe Biden says they can be, or a prosecutor in Georgia says they can be, or uh, a secretary of state in Colorado says he can be, and otherwise, you know, there's practically speaking, you know, you could vote for him in another state, but because he's not on the ballot in another state, your vote is negated. I mean, that, that's not an election. It's not an election. That's a banana republic. Well, speaking of banana republics, you know, um, a hallmark of a banana republic uh, is messing with financial institutions and manipulating the money supply and, you know, printing currency and hyperinflation and things like that. So we've had a little bit of that. I should say a lot of it all the crazed government spending in recent years, uh, inflation that's, in my view, out of control and still is. And then we've had the kind of, uh, the blowback on that is obviously uh, 
runs uh, run run on a bank, right? Runs on a bank, runs on bank runs. I guess is the way to put it. And that really hasn't happened, but uh, uh, there have been issues w w with a few banks where they didn't have uh, the wherewithal immediately to deal with pressure from bank regulators. And so as a result, they were taken over by the Biden administration. And of course, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So when we spend billions of dollars taking over a bank, guess who pays for it? You do. Now, I would argue ultimately you pay for it as a taxpayer, but technically you pay for it as a bank customer because it increases fees. Uh, the way they pay for these bailouts typically is by having the uh, uh, fees that the federal government impose on banks either increase or, or be siphoned in that direction. So you pay for it one way or another. And we've known, and Judicial Watch has exposed because the last big financial crisis, we exposed it, is that all these bank bailouts are typically just bank takeovers or political operations. They're not designed to help protect the economy. Well, sometimes maybe they think they're doing that, but it's not like they're using a scientific analysis or a rigorous financial analysis. It's make it up as they go along. And so the two big banks that were taken over in the Biden administration were Silicon Valley and Signature Bank. Uh, and obviously that happened earlier this year. And we had asked for questions, we had asked some questions of the U.S. Department of Treasury, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve uh, to, um, we, we wanted these uh we wanted answers to questions um, about the bank takeovers. We wanted records about the systemic risk exception granted to Silicon Valley Bank. Such records includes minutes, memoranda, or any communications between the agency or employees or representatives of, of uh, Silicon Valley Bank. We asked the same for Signature Bank. And what do we mean by systemic risk exemption? That allows the government to come in and protect depositors who have more money than is typically protected by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation uh, regulations, which I think is $250,000. The outrage in Silicon Valley is they came in and they protected all these other large depositors who had, relatively speaking, outrageous amounts of money sitting in checking and savings accounts that had no insurance uh, protection under the FDIC. And what did the Biden people come in and do? Well, they just came in and essentially kept them all whole and made them all whole at great expense. Same thing happened in Signature. And, and the indications are it wasn't because there was truly a systemic risk. In fact, as indications are, you know, the, the, uh, you know you're, you're not reading about bank failures all over the United States or bank takeovers all over the United States. I mean, it looked like these were just one-off issues. Silicon Valley Bank, as to remind you, failed on March 10th, 2023, and Signature Bank in New York City failed two days later. On March 12th, the Fed, the FDIC, and Treasury Departments, with the approval of President Biden, announced that a systemic risk exception was being invoked in both banks. This, they claimed, would fully protect all depositors. You know, and the effect of that was essentially was a signal to all banks 
that no matter the size of the deposit, we would backstop. So the liability, the liability for you, dear taxpayer, is in the trillions thanks to this decision by the Biden administration. The FDIC standard deposit insurance coverage limit is $250,000 per depositor, per FDIC insured bank, per ownership category. The systemic risk exception allows the FDIC uh, to protect uninsured depositors over that amount. Now, the Hill reports that mid-sized banks are lobbying federal officials to guarantee all bank deposits over the next two years, and that small community banks have spoken out against paying more to cover the failure of larger banks such as SVB. So, you know, that's, that's, that helps those big banks, right? Because these smaller banks, these community banks, don't have those big depositors, right? And now there's this economic advantage given to other banks, potentially, by allowing, by uh, essentially extending this insurance protection to businesses that should have their monies diversified. Only around 10% of deposits in community banks are above the $250,000 limit. So this is a payout to Silicon Valley, which I'll describe later as a politically connected bank compared to roughly 90% for Silicon Valley banks. So think about that. So you got these little banks, have a bunch of small depositors, they don't get these types of protections. But Silicon Valley, they've got a bunch of companies who have mismanaged their funds by leaving large chunks of cash in this bank, and we have to bail them out? No thank you. Fortune reported that the FDIC listed large companies that were in no real danger of failure that it bailed out in the wake of the Silicon Valley collapse. A billion dollars at Sequoia, the firm famous for backing companies including Apple, Google, and WhatsApp, they had a billion dollars there. I mean, I've heard of Sequoia. Why are we, why are we backing them up? They're big guys. They know what to do with their money. And if they've got cash sitting like that in a bank, that's their risk. You know, sometimes you have to let banks fail, right? Especially banks that do the wrong thing. And if people lose money on it under the current rules, don't invoke new rules or make up new rules or abuse the rules to protect people who should know better. They're gambling and we're paying their, you know, they, it's like privatizing the profits and socializing the risks. And the reason Silicon Valley got the special treatment, I would allege, was because Democrats wanted it to have protected, protection. It was a big bank, you know, Silicon Valley Bank in California, and the reporting was, Democrats were pushing for a major bailout of the bank. Gavin Newsom reportedly lobbied. And I guess they were a funder. They, they helped out Newsom's wife somehow. Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats in California were involved in this fight. And Silicon Valley happened to be a major supporter of President Biden, but I guess we're not allowed to mention that, right? And the board had a bunch of Democrats on it as well. Now, Signature Bank is a little bit more interesting. 
uh, because um, the infamous D Barney Frank was on that board. Barney Frank, you may remember, was the a former left-wing member of Congress who was a scourge of the banks, or at least he pretended to be. But even Barney Frank, the leftist, said, you know, they came in, they took over the bank. We didn't need to be taken over. But he thought the reason they had targeted Signature Valley Bank, uh, Signature Bank up in New York was because they were into crypto. And the uh, status running um, the Biden administration don't like crypto, these cryptocurrencies. So uh, essentially they said all your crypto stuff puts you all, you know, makes you a risky bank and we need to take you over. So that's why we spent all that money on Signature Valley. Now, the costly Biden bank bailouts, as I say in our release, have all the hallmarks of political favoritism and government overreach. And certainly the fact that the responsible Biden officials, their agencies, are hiding the documents about this basic issue. Tell us the reason you decided to support multi-billion dollar companies with precious taxpayer resources and uh, the resources of other bank consumers. And the fact they don't give us this basic information shows they have something to hide. Now, we kind of know what it's going to show. We're going sh to find out, because we've done investigations like this before, that systemic risk is just whatever they say it is. They just make it up as they go along, because we uncovered this before. Um, I think I may have talked about this before on the update with Vern McKinley. Uh, Vern McKinley was a client of Judicial Watch, uh, and we worked with him to investigate the other bailouts in 2008 and 2009. And we were the only ones doing it, practically speaking. And uh, we highlighted this in, a, in an op-ed, I think almost 10 years ago, in the Wall Street Journal. In one of his recent lectures at George Washington University, Ben Bernanke, who was a former Federal Reserve chairman, made the self-congratulatory assertion that the forceful policy response led by Federal Reserve in 2008 helped avoid a more serious economic downturn, which I'm sure is what the Biden people say now. And we found, in fact, that it wasn't a forced government response. It was a hapless government response. They had no idea what they were doing. Judicial Watch found in documents, this is a, this is a fun story. We uh, were, um, I, I read in the Wall Street Journal that in 2008, right, during the whole financial crisis, that the banks got this, their first big transfer of wealth from the government quote, protect them and to protect the economy. And the Wall Street Journal, Journal quoted the bankers saying, well, we, we weren't giving any choice. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Let's ask questions about how that happened. Was it a takeover or a bailout? And sure enough, we, uh, long story short, we got documents that showed that this was still under the Bush administration. First of all, the Treasury Department wanted to call in the heads of the nine top banks. And the Chief of Cha Staff for Treasury, if I recall correctly, was like, well, we got to get him in over here, and uh, we got to keep the media away. And by the way, who are the top nine banks in the country? So they don't even know what they're regulating and who they are supposed to be regulating. And they bring in the heads of the banks, and they basically tell them, and we have the notes of the meeting, uh, that we're going to infuse money into your bank, and effectively take over your bank through this government lending process, 
And, uh, and if you don't want to, we're going to require you to do so because all the regulators are here and they're going to require you to do so. And they were forced to sign permission slips. And we got the permission slips. It was like three lines showing um, I, Jamie Dimon of whatever, Goldman Sachs, right, uh, authorized the government, and I'll get approval of the board later, you know, to give us $25 billion and, you know, sign our rights away. And it was Judicial Watch that exposed that. So whenever time you hear bank bailout, just remember, it's usually a bank takeover. So we've got this big lawsuit. I just love Judicial Watch because, you know, we're all supposed to forget about this craziness, right? All this corruption and government abuse and overreach and, I mean, they're messing with our whole entire banking system and we're supposed to just kind of move along, whistle past the graveyard. We're not gonna whistle past the graveyard. We're gonna ask questions. We've sued three federal agencies trying to get information about why they bailed out a bunch of rich corporations when they weren't supposed to. And the fact they don't want to give us the document shows you we're on to something. Now, before I go, I do want to mention the uh, anniversary next week of 9-11. Um, you know, nearly 3,000 people were killed that week, that, that terrible day. And um, one of the outrages, and Judicial Watch, again, you would think there'd be a lot of investigations into 9-11 that were independent. No, not really. For instance, Judicial Watch exposed that uh, one of the guys who was working with the 9-11 hijackers, Anwar Alawaki, who later became internet, an internet jihadist, developed the idea of internet jihadism and recu recruiting for al-Qaeda online and was a, um, assassinated, an American citizen assassinated by Barack Obama. We uncovered that he was essentially a source and a... Um, for the FBI, working with the Defense Department on, Isla on Islam issues. I mean, this guy, by all accounts, was helping the hijackers. It was Judicial Watch who uncovered that. Judicial Watch uncovered the FBI and other State Department lies about helping Al uh, uh, bin Laden's family and Saudis get out after 9-11 when no one else could fly. Judicial Watch uncovered that, among other things. And we've represented victims, a victim of 9-11, the family of one, Lynn Faulkner. His wife passed away on 9-11, suing some of these governments that were involved in 9-11. I think that litigation, I know that litigation is still ongoing, at least the one that's against Saudi Arabia. And, of course, the other 9-11 attack was, on Benga was on two th in 2012 in Benghazi. And that led to... Uh, you know, Judicial Watch immediately saw all the lies that were taking place. They were trying to pretend it wasn't terrorism when it obviously was. They lied about it immediately to try to keep Obama, to save Obama's re-election campaign. And in the course of that Judicial Watch investigation, where we exposed the big lies about Benghazi that the Obama administration pretended that, oh, we thought it was a video that caused it. No, Judicial Watch exposed, they knew it was terrorism and they specifically lied that it was a video that caused it. Inflamed the population and that led to the terrorist attack. No, it was a planned terrorist attack and they knew it was planned and they, were, they had all sorts of warnings that were unheeded. Judicial Watch exposed that.
But in the course of that investigation, it led to Hillary Clinton's emails being exposed by Judicial Watch. So, you know, 9-11, they're going to tell you lots of stories. Uh, but if you really want the inside scoop on 9-11, I encourage you to go to Judicial Watch's website and read our books, uh, Judicial Watch's books. We have several, I think, I forget which book covers the 9-11 issues, but um, uh, go to uh, our judicialwatchbook.com, I think, and you can see all of our books. But you should read all of them because that, that will give you the truth behind Benghazi, those books uh, by uh, me and Judicial Watch, and 9-11 in a way that you'll, um, you won't see anywhere else. So, uh, you know, on 9-11, let's pray for those still suffering and grieving over the losses they faced on that, they, they, uh, faced on that day. And, you know, certainly it was traumatic for everybody who was alive in America, I would think, at that time. Uh, but also pray for America that we have more competent people, and I don't think we do, who are protecting us from future terrorist attacks. Just look at the crazed border issues and the fact is Judicial Watch has highlighted that terrorists have been using the southern border uh, to uh, get bad guys in for years and years, and we don't seemingly want to do anything about it. So I want to leave on a, on a I shouldn't say more lighthearted note, because I think this is a serious issue, too. It's the climate scam. It's been hot here in Washington, D.C. It's been a hotter summer than normal, probably across the United States. And of course, the left is using that as the as a basis to uh, take over uh, your lives um, through the climate scam propaganda effort. And I commented on that the other day. There's our nation's capital. You can see we're on the roof of Judicial Watch's headquarters. I'm Tom Fitton here. Uh, I'm just reporting that it's a hot day in Washington, D.C. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of every weather report being an excuse to shove the climate scam down our throats and the takeover of our economy uh, by those who are pushing uh, this big climate hoax. Judicial Watch is uh, front and center as always in trying to pry loose the truth about the climate fraud and the climate scam. But it's another hot day in Washington. I think it's kind of nice out and uh, the world won't end because the weather gets a little warm during the summer. I mean, if it's not one thing, it's another, right? You know, they want to shut the government, some, shut the country down over COVID. And uh, believe you me, the left has visions of uh, instituting a climate emergency and uh, shutting down the economy further. So be warned, it's hot, but uh, not hot enough to warrant destroying America um, in advance of the left's climate scam, that's for sure. So with that, I wish you the best uh, over the next week, and I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.